Uh, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5. I'll get started this morning. And some of you may have a handout. And if you don't, I apologize. I, I guess our, as you can tell from the quality of the copy, I guess our copy machine was having a little bit of trouble today. But I'll, I'll give you a, a cheat sheet. Uh, everything that I'm going to preach this morning, I'm stealing directly from this book right here, and it can be found there. So if you want to figure it out for yourself, just read this. Um, we're turning to John chapter 5. We're continuing our, our series in John, and I'm just going to read through this passage before we go back and, and just tear into it a little bit. It says, after this, and, and after what? Um, this is after... Jesus had gone all the way up to Galilee through Samaria. Remember, he was in Jerusalem. He went up through Samaria to Galilee, and now he's uh, actually on his way back down to Jerusalem. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool and the water is stirred up. And while I am going another steps down before me and jesus said to him get up take your bed and walk and at once the man was healed and he took his bed and walked now that was the sabbath so the jews said to the man who had been healed it is the sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed but he answered them the man who healed me that man said to me Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is, um, this is a story that if you have been in church for some time, you've probably heard this story uh, a time or two or, or 10 or 20. Um, but I would like us to dive in here and look at some things that maybe we haven't always noticed when reading this passage. And I, I want to add a layer to this um, that maybe we don't always see, a layer that bookends this from the beginning of John to the end of John. Now, we have to understand the reason John is writing this and also realize that John is writing this 
later than the other gospels. We have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written earlier. Mark was probably written the earliest than Matthew and Luke, and now John some years later. Interestingly enough, uh, Luke has a sequel. It's called Acts. I don't know why those aren't next to each other in the Bible, but it seems like they should be. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They all kind of contain a lot of the similar stuff, and John is just a little bit different. But John does something for us. He tells us why he has written what he has written. And if you look down there at the bottom of your paper, that is kind of like the foundation. It's near the end of John. You can flip there if you want in your Bible. It's almost at the end of John. It says this, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose for everything written in John. He goes, I want you to believe that Jesus is what? The Christ, and he's the Son of God. Now, this is different than what we would talk about, like, aren't we all sons of God? Yes, but this is an actual special title for Jesus, the Son of God, meaning that there was something different about him. Yes, we're all sons and daughters of God, but Jesus was the Son of God. And we're going to dive into that more here in just a moment. But he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. So as we read this story, the purpose of it is to reveal Jesus as the Savior to us. But there's something else going on in this story, and for that we have to go all the way back to John chapter 1. And if you are taking notes, I, I forgot to add it in the, into that note I gave you, but there on the top left there's kind of a blank section. And that blank section should be written be between Jesus and those Jewish leaders, John chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And you know what that says? It says this. It says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Or some translations say the darkness doesn't understand it. Like Jesus is the light. He's coming to the world and the world doesn't understand it. And it goes on to tell us in verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Isn't that what we just heard in this passage? is that Jesus' own people aren't receiving him. Jesus was a Jew, and yet here... I'm getting prayer requests, sorry. Um, uh, Jesus was a Jew, and his own Jewish people aren't receiving him. They're rejecting him. He's the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't even understand him. And as we look at this story... It says Jesus, he comes to this pool by the sheep gate. And at this pool, and you might have noticed, I don't know if any of you noticed, you see verse 3 there. Uh, go ahead and take a look at verse 4 in your Bible. How many of you don't have a verse 4 in your Bible? It's a few of you. Like, uh-oh, is there something wrong with my Bible? And, and No. Um, what is there is there's this tradition and as we saw in the story, that, that what these people believe, that is at times an angel of the Lord would come and stir up the waters, what they believe is the first person to hit the water could be healed. Now, when we begin to 
research this, and we found earlier manuscripts, that verse right there, verse 4, it wasn't included. It wasn't in those earliest manuscripts. And so some scribe must have added that in later to say this is what those people believe, and that's the content that's missing. But you can still gather that from what the paralyzed man was saying, the invalid man was saying. He was saying, no one will take me down to the water. No one will take me down there. It might have been some sort of spring that bubbled up from time to time, and maybe it did have some sort of therapeutic quality to it. We, we're familiar that, with that in this area. If you've ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas, or even, even to Eureka Springs, those places got famous because people believed that the waters there had healing properties. And in much a similar way, that's what these people believed, that at times this spring would be stirred up maybe somehow and if you got in there, you could be healed. But look here at verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he'd, he'd been invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine? It says he saw him lying there and he knew that he'd been there a long time. And he asked the question, which is somewhat puzzling to us sometimes. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Isn't that strange to you? Like, I mean, I haven't been able to move for 38 years. Do I want to be healed? And, and how does this man respond he he responds by telling him his story there's no one to help me if you look in that first blank jesus has compassion and and that's one of the markers of the story to show who jesus is like jesus has compassion on this man no one else will help him this man has no one else he's been Desperate for 38 years, and, and if you look over in the sick minute, point two, it says that he's hopeless. Isn't it he hopeless? Like, there's no one to even help him get in the water when the water is stirred. He's hopeless. And then Jesus sees him. He sees his need, and he knows his need. In fact, Matthew 6, 8, it tells us that he knows what we need before we even ask. Isn't, isn't that us sometimes? Aren't we the hopeless ones sometimes? Aren't we the ones that are at our wit's end at times? I, um, I would say one of the hardest things about pastoring and, and I would say even about being in a in a church family is when you see your brothers and sisters going through just one of the most difficult times of their life. Um, actually I was I was talking with with Dylan and Cicely this morning and they said, you know, their little Ava Faye was just feeling a little bit under the weather and just not being able to do anything to make it better for it, right? Isn't that the hard part of being a parent when you're when your kids are sick and you just all you can do is be there for them that's it 
And sometimes as in a church family, sometimes all we can do is be there for each other. And it's hard when we see our brothers and sisters going through a hopeless situation. It's hard to be the one going through what we consider a hopeless situation. But I can tell you this morning, with Jesus Christ, we are never in a completely hopeless situation. Yes, the situation might be difficult. The circumstances might be trying. But do you realize that when we have Jesus Christ, we are never hopeless? And what this man didn't realize is that the man asking him, hey, do you want to be healed? Was his hope standing right in front of him and he had no clue do you realize that sometimes even for us sometimes jesus he walks into the situation even before we realize he's there and he's offering hope to us even before we realize he's there in fact some of you this morning you might be going through a situation what you think is hopeless and can i encourage you that jesus he one he already knows he sees, he has compassion. And for some of us, he's asking, do you want to be healed? We don't even realize that he has already put the answer to our prayer in motion. What I think is so interesting, when I look backwards on my life, I can clearly see the path that God used to bring me where I am today. Anybody else like that? You can look back and say, well, it's a clear path to here. But when we turn around and look at the future, we're like, no, that's too scary, God. There's no way you have that. You've had all that, but I don't trust you to have that. That's us sometimes, aren't we? Jesus, he has compassion. But the other thing we see here is that Jesus has authority. That's that second blank there. Jesus says to him, get up, take your bed, and walk and it says at once the man was healed and he took his bed and he walked which says to me that this man was obedient to the authority of jesus christ some of us we want to see god move and do things in our life but it will only happen to the point we're obedient to the words of christ and i don't want to go back and re-preach other messages well let's be honest i kind of do i love re-preaching messages but how many know we've discussed time and time again that the words of Christ are what brings freedom and brings life to us. And to the point we're obedient to the words of Christ, he's able to move in our lives to perform miracles. And sometimes he'll perform miracles in our life just to be nice, even if we're not obedient. But more times than not, he's waiting for us to bend beneath the weight of his words to walk out obedience to his words, to show that we are true sons and daughters of God. And there's freedom there. There's freedom there. And so this is a great miracle. This is a great miracle that's happened. If, if someone who had been invalid for 38 years comes in this church and is healed, oh my goodness gracious. Can you imagine? But that's not the point of the story. I know it's an important part of the story, but that's not the reason John is telling us this story. He's actually telling it because of the next section. Enter the Jewish leaders. Now, in this section, it just calls them the Jews, but what it means is the Jewish leaders, and they have a problem. 
And what's their problem? The problem is that it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? That was the holy day to the Jews. That was the day that no one was allowed to do anything. They weren't allowed to work. And, and if, if you think that that's not a big deal, down there in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says very clearly to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. And if you go on to Exodus 31, it actually says, the Lord's saying, I'm really, really serious about this. About this. What he's saying is, if, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you should be put to death. And so the Jewish people decided, you know what? We should take this really serious. And so there's no working on the Sabbath in any way, shape, or form. We're not going to do any work at all. And for us sitting on this side, we see it, right? We see how ridiculous it is that they're angry with this man who had just been healed after 38 years. We see it. But to them, they're so stuck on the rules. They, they value rules over compassion. They, they don't care for the miracle at all, right? They just want their religion to be upheld. They just want their rules to be upheld. But wasn't that the word of the Lord to keep the Sabbath holy well yes but all the additional rules they stacked on top of it sometimes it's the rules we stack on top of it to get us in that get us in trouble like like think of adam and eve god tells adam don't eat of the tree adam tells eve don't eat of the tree also don't touch it because then you'll die. It doesn't say this, but I can only imagine that Eve walked over and grabbed that fruit and touched it and didn't die. Well, wait a minute. I'll just go ahead and take a bite out of this thing. I don't know if exactly the way it played out, but it seems to me sometimes we get in trouble when we add additional rules to what's already there. That's what Paul fought in the early church, that first century church. They surrendered their lives to Jesus and all of them had come from all sorts of different religions and different things. And Paul's trying to sort it out. Like, what do we do? How do we sort out all these different religions and things? And, and they're all becoming Christians. And now what? And all the Jews are saying, you know what? The new Christians should look a lot like Jews. And Paul's like, wait a minute. That's not, that can't be right. It's got to be about the rules, right? Or what if it's about compassion, about freedom? Do you realize in Christ we have freedom? And what does Paul warn us, though? He goes, you have freedom. It's, it's not about just trying to keep all the rules and all the works. You have freedom, but be careful because your freedom might actually cause another person to sin. In the church, we like to debate um, consumption of alcohol a lot in America mostly Europe they don't have this so much and so well is it a sin is it not a sin C can I just tell you be careful that whatever it is that your freedom doesn't cause someone else to stumble and guess what that area is an area where people stumble frequently well pastor Drew, what do you believe about it well come sit in my d group and I'll tell you exactly what I think about it 
We must have compassion over the rules. In Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus is walking along with his disciples. It's the Sabbath when you're not supposed to be doing any work at all, in- including you can't carry your own bedding around on the Sabbath, right? But you can't, you can't do any harvesting on the Sabbath. So they're just kind of walking through this field and they're just popping the heads off these grains and eating them, kind of like we do popcorn, right? They're just, they're just snacking as they go. They're just snacking. But technically, that's considered harvesting. And it's a, sun, it's, a, it's a, well, Saturday, but to us, we'd think Sunday. But it's the Sabbath. They shouldn't be doing that because that day is holy. And the religious people lose their minds. Your disciples are harvesting on the Sabbath. And Jesus reminds them. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Sabbath was made for man, for humans. We weren't made for the Sabbath. Like, the Sabbath was made to give us rest, not to put on so many rules on us that it just becomes this draining, strainful thing. You guys have it all wrong. See, Here's where the Sabbath came from. We, we all know the story. God created the earth in how many days? Six days. Six days. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. How many you know rest is biblical? Hey, it's good to rest. That's something you need to build into the culture of your family and your home is to rest. Even in this church, we try to build in seasons of hey, we're not, we're not going and doing any extra ministry at the church this month. You guys stay home. Of course, then we have other times where we're like, we need y'all's help. Come on. But rest is biblical. Rest is important. And yet what these Jewish leaders had done is they'd turn rest into a thing where they just, well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and how many know after a while you can pile on so many rules where it's just, you just walk around with anxiety all day long. There's no way I can get this right. So, Jesus makes some audacious statements here. He says, look down in verse 17. They're questioning him about why he's doing this stuff. And he says, my father's working until now. And I am working. And so we're going to miss some of this because we're not in that culture at that time. But, but he says, my father's working, so I'm working. There's a few things here. First of all, Jesus is saying this. The only, did you know the only one that was allowed to work on the Sabbath was God? According to Jewish culture, like we can't work on Sabbath, but God will. That's, that's why babies will be born sometimes on the Sabbath, because God is working even on the Sabbath. He's upholding the universe even on the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying, well, he's saying, my father's working, so I'm going to be working too, even on the Sabbath. What's he saying here? He's saying, I'm just like God. And then he says this other thing that I think we miss in our culture. He doesn't say, our father is working until now. He actually says, my father is working until now. Now, is God the father of all of them? 
sure. But Jesus is excluding himself. He's saying, I am the Son of God. I'm not just one of, you know, y'all, like we're all sons of God. He's saying, I am the Son of God, which was a special title reserved for the Christ, the Messiah. He's saying he is his own Father, as we'll see in just a second. Like, I am God, is what he's saying. And you're like, well, is that really what he's saying? Well, look at it. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, not only were his works wrong, no, not only was he not keeping the rules of their religion, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself what? Equal with God. Making himself equal with God. With God, I, I think it's important that we we dive into this for just a second. If we can just study this, is that Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. And there's some more liberal theologians out there who study the Word of God, and they'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God his disciples never really claimed that he was God. That's just stuff that you know we've added through the years. And then even um, these are things that I like to study in my downtime. Even Muslim theologians. Well, did you know Muslims believe that Jesus was a good prophet? Did you know that Jesus? They actually believe that Jesus was a good prophet, but they don't believe that he is God. And they'll even tell you, go read the Bible. The Bible never says Jesus is God. They'll say that to you. Can I tell you this morning, the Bible says Jesus is God. Look at John 1.1 1, 1 for just a moment. We'll just, we'll just burn through these. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And then we find out this Word was made flesh, and this is Jesus. We just saw in John 5.18, where it says Jesus was equal with God. If we flip over to John chapter 8, verse 58. This is, this is important things to understand. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you that before Abraham was, I am. Why is this a big deal? Because to the Jewish people, God had a special name. You know what that name was? I am. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's giving him that special name of God. Like Jesus is claiming to be God. And there's others there. But some will say, well, John was written later. Remember earlier I was saying, you know, Mark was written first. And then John was written later. And, and in a lot of People believe the reason John got into writing this down was because he was like, you know, I've read Mark, I've read Matthew and Luke. I need to write my own account. So he writes his own account, which is different than the other three. And as he's writing this down, there's some more liberal theologians will say, well, he, he read the other three and decided they never put that Jesus was God in there, so he would. So he added it years later. Well, first of all, John walked with Jesus. So if he's the only one that said Jesus was God, I believe the guy. I believe him. 
Another interesting point to think about is that as John is writing this account, do you realize Jerusalem has been destroyed? Like in the year 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. So as John is writing these accounts, he's writing about a place that had been ransacked. The temple has been destroyed at this point. Just think about, I don't, I don't know a comparison in our terms today. Imagine if some important place in our life got destroyed and years later, 20, 30 years later, we're writing about it. I don't know what kind of important place that would be. I'm thinking like maybe Little Rock or the Capitol. I don't know if that's really important to us. Bearville Walmart. That's probably what's important to us. I don't know. But, but imagine John, is he's, he's, he's writing about Jerusalem, which is no longer what it was. When he's writing about this pool and about this temple, he's, he's writing about a place that has been torn down. But if, Mar- if John was the only one to say Jesus was God, or say that Jesus said he was God, then I believe it, but that's not true. Mark, which was the first one, also says in, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 3, I, I want to turn there for just a moment. It says this. It's talking about John the Baptist, and and, in verse 2, it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is talking about Jesus in Luke, or in Mark here. He's talking about Jesus Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He's talking about Jesus, but Isaiah is talking about the I am, Yahweh. He's talking about Jehovah. He's talking about God. What is Mark doing in the, in the first opening statement? He's saying Jesus is God. There's, there's no, like if you were a Jew and you read that, you would have been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying this. He's saying Jesus is God. Like, we miss it because it's not our culture, but they studied Isaiah time and time again. They knew the prophet. They knew what he was talking about. And I included some others there in Matthew chapter 9 and Colossians 2, and where, where Paul declares that Jesus is God. And even the writer of Hebrews in his opening lines in verse 3 declares that Jesus is God. Anyone who tells you the Bible never claims that Jesus is God They've obviously never read their Bible. So the Jews here, they have two issues with Jesus. One is that his works don't match what they think his work should match. And two, his claim to be God. And those are those two arrows pointing to the cross. Because I tell you, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And this is where I'll end. And Robert, you can join me. If you were to dive into Hebrews, 
In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who that is, he's talking about Jesus in chapter 3. About Jesus is better than Moses. Like he's greater than Moses ever was. And as he goes down and talks about Jesus and how great he is, he talks about how we as humans have rebellious hearts and we tend to push Jesus away. And you know what we think sometimes? We think through our good works that we can make God like us. Like, if I just do all the right things and do all the good things, God will like me. Isn't that exactly what these Jewish leaders thought? That's why we have to keep the Sabbath. Because if we keep the Sabbath, then God will like us. In Hebrews 4, the writer starts talking about this rest. This rest that we only have through Jesus. Trying to be good enough is hard. Heck, trying to sit through a sermon on Sunday morning is hard. Some of you need rest now. I can see it on your faces. Trying to be good enough is exhausting. Try to make sure that you're, you're being that great person so everyone thinks I'm wonderful. That's exhausting. And all these works can be exhausting. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, says this who whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his see what did God do on the seventh day he rested he rested from his works and what he's saying here is that whoever enters God's rest whoever gives their lives to Christ, they now are resting from their own works. What does that mean? It means it is by grace you are saved, not of works, so that no one can boast. The, the great thing is, is that it's all about Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's the only work that matters. You, you can miss all of it. Um, those Old Testament laws, there's a ton of them. And it's crazy to me because a lot of times the world will reach back into the Old Testament and pull up some verse or some passage to show how messed up Christians are. It's like, look, this is what your Bible says. Look, and you're like, wait a minute, that's Old Testament. They don't understand how that when Jesus died on the cross, that Christians now, the, the, the law is fulfilled. And now as Christians, we have rested 
We're trying to earn our salvation through works. What was the point of it all? What was the point of the Old Testament? Just to make us aware of our sin. And guess what? I'm very aware of my sin now. I'm very aware of my sin. Guess what? We, we could never keep the Sabbath perfectly. There's no way. There's no way. I still think it's important to rest. But you'll never be able to keep God's law perfectly. But it's only through the work of Jesus by His death on the cross that we can find life. That's the only work that matters. And then his resurrection from the dead proves that he is God. Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the I am. And so for us this morning, we, we come to a place where we have to ask ourselves, like, are we, are we like Jesus? Are we like Jesus in that we're compassionate when we see people going through difficult times? And can I tell you this morning, if you're a person who's going through a difficult time, Jesus is compassionate towards you. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. That's the greatness of our amazing God. for us to endeavor to be like him to be compassionate to others in a world that that's not compassionate in a world that quickly wants to cancel any person who steps out of line it's it's funny to me in a world that we live in that it's all about we need to be more inclusive and more tolerant and more everything but the moment someone steps out of line canceled how is that being tolerant and inclusive? Oh, they said the wrong thing. They, they did the wrong thing. They posted the wrong thing 10 years ago. Goodness, I hope no one digs up my post from 10 years ago. I do frequently go in there and mark them all private. But God in His mercy, He's not looking at you or your works. He's looking at one thing. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? If Jesus gives a command, if He tells you to get up and walk, do you get up and walk? You say, I'm sorry. It's Sunday. And I'm supposed to be resting. Or for them, Saturday. It's the Sabbath. I gotta follow the rules, Lord. Did you forget your own rules? God, did you forget your own rules? And what does he, what does he say? Compassion over rules every time. Will you stand with me? If you just bow your head and close your eyes for, and just focus on the Lord for a moment. And if this morning you say, I, I, I need some ministry. I need some people to pray with me. We have some wonderful leaders and elders that would love to take time to minister the Word of God to you wherever you're at. 
whatever's going on. We'll just take a moment here. Just take a moment, lift your hands and your hearts for just a second. Father God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the compassion that you have. Lord, let us be like you. Let us be a people of compassion over people of the rules and the law.
Lord, for those who are in this place this morning who need to experience some of that compassion. Lord God, I pray that you would come and meet them where they are, that your Holy Spirit would come and heal their heart, that they would feel you near, and that we as their brothers and sisters would surround them during their times of difficulty to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have.